Welcome to Bookstore Explorer, the show where we go behind the shelves with booksellers to celebrate the magic of independent bookstores. I'm author and bookseller Matt Browning. And today my guest is not a bookseller. It's podcaster and author Sarah Royal, who joins me to discuss the impact that indie bookshops has had on her life and career. Now, I met Sarah when I was a guest on her podcast, Enough Wicker, which she co-hosts. It's a Golden Girls rewatch podcast uh, viewed from a scholarly angle. And for those of you who aren't super fans like Sarah and myself, the phrase Enough Wicker is a nod to a bit of a deep cut line from one of the episodes. So check out that show. Uh, now, Sarah is also an author of the brand new book, a.k.a. Lucy, The Dynamic and Determined Life of Lucille Ball. It features a forward from Amy Poehler and is available in bookstores now. It's an intimate and deeply original exploration of the remarkable life and work of the television pioneer, the first lady of comedy, Lucille Ball, a.k.a. Lucy. Sarah tells us how this beautiful book came to be and the role that indie bookshops are playing in her upcoming book tour. So come along as Sarah and I go bookstore exploring. Sarah, welcome to Bookstore Explorer. It is so good to see you. Thank you. I know. I'm so excited to be here. We uh we go back a little ways. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we 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 entered each other's orbit, so to speak, with our mutual love of the Golden Girls. Indeed. I wrote a Golden Girls book. You have a Golden Girls podcast. And I was a guest on your show. So tell us about your podcast first. Let's start off with that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our podcast, uh, I co-host with my friend Lauren, it's called Enough Wicker, Intellectualizing the Golden Girls. And when we started um, the podcast, there were several other, you know, Golden Girls podcasts out there. So our little niche that we carved out was looking at it from a more of a scholarly perspective. So bringing in perspectives from the people that we were actually surprised um, to find had written dissertations or thesis papers or like literally teach the Golden Girls in school, um, which is incredible. So if you're out there saying, I want to take a Golden Girls class, there are actually professors out there who are doing <laughs> this. So um, yeah, so I think it's it's kind of interesting because we we bring almost like a uh, books and reading perspective <laughs> to watching a television sitcom. And yeah, it's been great. And I think it's what's exciting is that, you know, I feel like my dreams is a little when I was a little kid to was to write a book um about the Golden Girls and you've done it. And you have been <laughs> the guide that um we and the other podcasters who are podcasting in the modern era about an 80s television show really need, which is that reference guide. Well, it goes to show the power and the longevity of our entertainment. You know, mm -hmm. to, I can't imagine that the cast and the crew of the Golden Girls 30 some years ago were imagining the longevity that this show would have. Mm -hmm. Have you been surprised by it at all? Yeah, I, I think I'm continually surprised <laughs> every day because... Our podcast was a little um, personal project, you know, it was sort of uh, how and, you know, we can even get into this, too, as we talk about books and self-publishing and indie publishing and zines and whatnot. I, I've always sort of had this philosophy of like, I'm going to create things. And if somebody else happens to like it, that's great. But it's not it's not the driving force behind my creation. Right. It's mm -hmm. it's to just create 
inherently and enjoy something and process something on my own. Uh, and that's how Lauren and I started the podcast. And we've been overwhelmed with not even just how many people have connected with us, but how we've uncovered folks like you who are sort of just as deep in this television show and this wonderful world that um, the show has created for us uh, in, in the modern era. Right. And it just continued. You know, we've we've been interviewed for newspapers and there's Golden Con and there's The Kitchen. And there, I mean, there's there's a million other podcasts now and books and, you know, novelties and just amazing, brilliant writing online and in memes and everywhere else. And it's been uh, pretty incredible. I mean, it does honestly what books do for people where you just <laughs> open up and unlock a little world and you have no idea how far it's going to spread when you sort of first release. And speaking of of our entertainment icons and the longevity <laughs> of, of, how do I want to say this? You know, people might write off a sitcom or such things as, I don't want to say frivolous, but, you know, I think it's easy it's to said. to dismiss the impact that they can have on people's lives. And another icon <laughs> that ranks right up there is Lucille Ball. And yes, you, you may have heard of her. <laughs> I she sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> today, listeners, if you're listening on the day we publish this, it's Sarah's book birthday. Your brand new book is out in the world today, and it's about Lucy Ball. Tell us about your book. Yes. So it's called AKA Lucy, The Dynamic and Determined Life of Lucille Ball. And it, um, it's it been you know quite some time since Lucy uh, has passed, even more time since Lucy was born, has passed in the world. <laughs> and there's been, you know, there again, much like I said with the podcast, there, there's been plenty of Lucille Ball biographies and her autobiography and, you know, pages and pages written on her, as well as... The recent, you know, documentary by Amy Poehler, Lucy and Desi, or the recent film by Aaron Sorkin being the Ricardos. Like, there's been a, a slight resurgence of her life. Well, this book, um, you know, it's it's a biography, but it's it's a little bit of a different tack. It's it's a visual biography, so don't get me wrong. It's you know, it's fifty plus fifty thousand plus words. It's like a true <laughs> biography, but it's not necessarily one that's just going to be the chapter one, chapter two. You need to read it in order, and what people think of like a traditional tome of a biography. Mm -hmm. um, it's really visual. There's incredible photos, and you can basically read each chapter as sort of a separate vignette of pieces of her life. So, um, and speaking of Amy Poehler, she did write the forward for the book too, which is super exciting. So which I it's, mean, um, how amazing, how did you wrangle that? I mean, I wish I could say that I just like sidled up Called next her to her at a dive bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were just sharing a whiskey. We decided to, to cheers. Um, no, because she was, um, this, my book, uh, AKA Lucy is authorized officially by the Lucy Desi estate. And they, of course, had a connection to Amy through um, supporting her with her documentary. So we sort of, you know, sent the manuscript off and asked if she would support the book with a forward. And she said yes. So, Amy, now, I'll, I'll have that drink with you in a dive bar someday. But, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the behind the scene, the behind the scenes mechanism of getting this is a little less sexy than that. I mean, I'm sure she's listening. I'm sure she's a I'm sure. fan. So, Amy, you know, if you want to come on and talk about it. Um, and again, at, at the time we're taping. I got a notification that my pre-orders for my bookshop are arriving today. Um, so this afternoon, I'm going to actually get to see it and hold it and look for Ugh. it. 
Um, so exciting. But I mean, it's, it's a visually arresting book, I must say. So even if you're slightly on the fence of thinking about it, at least look it up to look at it because Tim Palin, the, the illustrator and art director did such an incredible job. Like this photo of Lucy on the cover is sort of like beautiful. pierces your soul in the it best does. way. <laughs> yeah. Thank it you. Se- it, it, to, to look at the picture of the cover, it seems like something you might want to keep on your coffee table. Is that yeah, and that's so what that's it is appropriate. And I think that that's what's fun. It's um as as a writer, right? As the author, <laughs> it is interesting to see such a beautifully designed book and think that when you open it, it's basically going to be photos and and the only writing will be maybe a, an intro and some captions, right? Um, and then you open it, you're like, oh, damn, there's a lot of words in here. <laughs> so um, I think that's sort of like a nice surprise, you know, it's it, and again, it's not. I I believe it's not an overwhelming uh, biography in the way that you would open and say, oof, you know, it's a lot of text. I got to process like the, that. The some Benjamin other time. Franklin biography or the Mark Twain. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. You know, no, no uh, disrespect to Dave McCullough and, and all those other authors, but uh, yeah, it's it's um it's kind of a different it's a different vibe, but it is beautiful and could definitely sit on a coffee table. I'm envisioning it like uh, our our fellow Golden Girls lover Jim Colucci's golden girls yes which does sit on my coffee table (laughs) there you go there you go his his cover has this gorgeous like gold lacing outline too so i don't think there's any gold in (laughs) scintillatingness (laughs) of his cover but um there certainly is sort of a almost a glitter effect of the colors now i don't know how deep you can get into it yet because the book is just about to enter the world but let's talk about how you're going to be promoting this book with independent bookstores, which is what we're here to to really dive into and talk about. Yes. And I it's been a really interesting learning experience, which is fun. I've, you know, I've done publishing before, um, and even just, you know, court, sort of traditional books and, and a non-indie publisher model or non-zines, as I mentioned, that that was my background, but mm-hmm. um, nothing to this extent, nothing to this level. And I decided. Um, I wanted to do a book tour, right? I think that that's something that, you know, it's it's the classic meme of like what your parents think you do or what society thinks you do. Well, you're an author. Well, you go on a book tour. Clearly, you take, <laughs> you know, three months off of your life, all expenses paid. And, um, you know, listeners to this podcast will probably not be surprised that uh, there's not a lot of money in publishing for that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, when I thought about a book tour, too, and th- thought about from the publisher's angle, um, it actually it doesn't take much deep thought to understand that it's not quite lucrative for them because if you think about it okay we do a book event at a local bookstore and um okay so people are going to show up who are some friends and family and maybe heard about it they're going to buy one book what <laughs> they're going to be one copy of the book yes if you're my mother you'll probably buy a few for some friends or some gifts and other things like that but for the most part it's not going to trigger some incredible buy by a person you know it's it's much more lucrative to advertise it in magazines and 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 do interviews and things like that and podcasts like this one but from a bookstore's perspective totally different ballgame because not only will they probably buy the book that you are (laughs) selling or promoting excuse me but they'll probably look around the bookstore and say oh i'll pick this one up too oh you know what i've been meaning to get so and so i'll be meaning to get so and so so it actually is amazing because we can not only just have folks browse in the bookstore at an event but 
even recommend other books, right? What I'll be doing on my tour is pointing out that there are other Lucy biographies. There's a great Lucille Ball kids book that came out um, by the author Wendy Logia. So there's there's so many other sort of like cross-pollination for authors and booksellers alike. And that's why it's really exciting to just have like the partner is more of like the indie bookstores, you know, no disrespect to my publisher, but like that's where the magic is going to happen for me in these events, but also for the communities that I'm going to. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. You know what I didn't ask you before we dove into this section was, and let's go back and do it now. What inspired you to write this specific book? <laughs> You're like, just we just took that and ran with it. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. I so uh, going back from a background perspective, I've been referencing that. You know, I've I've always I've always been a writer, and I think. What's funny to me, if I look back when I was a little kid and somebody's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I probably would have said a writer. Um, that or I when I once learned, I think the first time I learned about the United Nations, I realized that people just, if you spoke more than one language, you just got paid to talk <laughs> <laughs> as a translator. So I think I had that dream first. And then I realized how hard it is to actually learn like 12 languages that you have to be. But anyway, yeah, uh, I've always been a writer. I have, I sort of, started writing um, more quote unquote officially using zines, right? And that same do-it-yourself attitude I mentioned earlier of just like, I'm going to create, I'm going to put it out in the world. And if it's, you know, I, I'm not going to ask permission, essentially, right? I'm not going to get caught up in the traditional model of I have to apply and say, please, and they say no. And, you know, and then I just decide that it, nothing is worthy to put out there. So, I had a number of zines and I, I still, you know, continue to write independently today. And a few of them, um, you know, saw a lot of success from a distribution angle. I actually published a an old zine because I couldn't keep up with the um, production of it through Microcosm Publishing called The Book Bindery about a book bindery that I worked at. Um, so you sense a theme here. There's definitely, there's definitely <laughs> books in my world. Um, and then I also had a very surprising um, novelty book that was a huge success back in 2009 called Creative Cursing, a Mix and Match Profanity Generator, hmm. which I have to describe this thing if you've never seen it. It's <laughs> the thing you see on somebody's coffee table, you know, traditionally in college or in like a 20 year old's house uh, or at the store. And you say that thing is so stupid. Why didn't I think of it? <laughs> it's just one of those moments where I thought of it. And um, it's essentially a book, uh, you know, having more creative forms of curse words that has two different tabs that you can rearrange. So it's incredibly vulgar and lewd, and it is very funny. <laughs> so, so through that, I had a connection with the publisher running press in Philadelphia, and I've sort of stayed in touch and, and worked with them on a, lot, a number of their mini kits and writing little booklets for that just as a project. Um, and then, of course, got, you know, connected with other folks who had some really interesting ideas, including um, a book packager, who's almost like the 
the gig economy of the publishing world. Like it kind of knows, knows their way around um, authors and illustrators and projects and who would be best for what and sort of project manages the whole thing. So this book packager said, you know, I know this editor at um, Running Press is really interested in doing a book about Lucy who that that sort of has more of that visual feel. So it's very much in the vein of Notorious RBG, mm-hmm. which is a book that come out came out a number of years ago. Um that it's kind of in the same vein. It's a it's a biography, but it's not, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. It's not a straight biography by any means. There's a lot of real, really great pullouts about RBG's workout routine and some of her case notes for Supreme Court cases. Really interesting. So essentially we pitched it and um at the time you know, I knew I was a Lucy fan. I I grew up with I Love Lucy, like many of us have, and watched the reruns on Nick at Night. You know, I was born in the 80s, so um, <laughs> I remember watching it with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I sort of was, was like excited to delve into her world, not even knowing how much amazing um facts and and feelings about her life that I would uncover. So and the other fun fact about this book is that I wrote it over my 4-month maternity leave with my second daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, you know, it's it's You didn't have insane. much else to do, right? <laughs> Why not write <laughs> <Yeah>. a book? <laughs> I will I will caveat this for the many parents out there that I never ever would have attempted this with my first child. Um it it's still quite mad to do it with my second child. I was banking heavily on the fact that my second child would sleep as well as my first did, which she did. So, um, but it was an incredible ride. And it was, I, I really am grateful for the opportunity, you know, from running press and everybody involved because I did, you know, I got to enter her life and, and really get connected with this person who died, you know, when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to to dive into it myself. You mentioned that you wanted to be a writer when you were little. Yeah. I did too. I used to joke though that I wanted to be a Maytag repairman. You remember those commercials? He just sat oh, yes. and did nothing. <laughs> I used to say I wanted to be a Maytag. Are repairman. you sure? Are you sure it wasn't because of the cool jumpsuit that the guy wore? The hat. Maybe the, the little hat. Um, but let's go. Let's dive into your early experiences with bookshops. Do you remember yeah. your first time going to one? I. It's so funny. I. I don't remember my first time mm-hmm. because I honestly I remembered. Um, I remember going to the library. That was my first my first experience with books that were not in my home um, mm-hmm. because my parents were, you know, my my mother uh, was definitely an avid reader. And like, you know, my parents had books around me all the time. I think I was, you know, reading, reading, quote unquote, uh, as early as possible. But we used to go to the public library in Bayonne, New Jersey, where I grew up, uh, which is a Carnegie library, which I, you know, later found out in life. I was like, oh, that's why it was so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but I think from a bookstore perspective, I remember... Um, Walden books. I do too. <laughs> That's the, the first cha- one I remember. Yeah, is that the, the first mall. one for you? In okay, the mall, in the yeah. mall, exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, it's so it's so fascinating because I could sort of trace like it's like Walden books, and then it's Borders, and then it's Barnes and Noble in terms of like the chain stores, but always present in the mall. And you know, as as a child of the '80s, as a child in New Jersey, you know, coming up in the '90s, like that was, you know, that's where you went. You know, I went to the mall every Friday night in high school, every single Friday night, and obviously several <laughs> times before then, before I could decide for myself. Um, so yeah, it was Walden Books, and it was, um, you know, I can still just feel how how bright it was in there, and just it was, I just loved looking at all of the books, and it, it was it was from the earliest days, it was that same feeling in the library where it's. Oh, there's so much potential here. 
there's mm-hmm. there's too much that I can even handle, right? Myself. I think even without a mathematical brain per se, and even as a kid, I was sort of like, I can never read this many books in my lifetime. <laughs> but it's still really <laughs> exciting to to browse the shelves, to also see, you know, they also did um those like staff recommendations, which I love. So you have a little, little, you know, Joe says that this book changed his life, you know, handwritten cards on the end cap. It's I fun mean, now that, that I'm on the other side and I'm writing the handwritten yes, cards. Yes, exactly. It. <laughs> it's so, it's so lovely, right? It's, you know, it's, it's, um yeah. So it's, it's always been a wonderful memory. And then of course, as I got older and understanding, you know, like going to New York City more and going to the Strand, which was incredibly overwhelming in the best uh, way and I, has I that specific smell. I went no, to New York been- I've been to New York City, but I did not go to the Strand. How stupid of me! <laughs> I very quite quite silly. So, all right, well, come come here. We'll do a whole New York tour episode. I'll be well. It was one of those flight delays. We lost the whole day and just whatever. Ah, uh, yes, it's okay. It'll be there. It'll be there waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of your favorite books that you liked to read when you were little and you first started really getting into books? Um, I think, well, I mean, we were always, you know, I bring this up too, because I have two daughters and we're, we're, uh, we brought back the Berenstain Bears. So that was always, uh, those were my classic books. We read Madeline, uh, we read Babar, we read, I um, forgot about Babar. Yeah, right. It is. <laughs> it threw me back in time. It's quite, you know, it's it's very, definitely a celebration of the monarchy. So it's very <laughs> strange. It's strange to read these days, right? But um. But yeah, and then as, as I got older and reading like bigger chapter, but I loved Encyclopedia Brown. I'm not sure if you ever read yeah, those. Yeah, yeah like did. mystery books, right? Mm-hmm. And we used to watch murder mysteries as a kid. You know, we were huge Agatha Christie, Perot fans on PBS. And like we would, you know, Sherlock Holmes, all that stuff when I was older. So I, I definitely had this like base of Encyclopedia Brown and those types of series of books. Uh, getting Same, into I mysteries. had a grandmother that loved Agatha Christie and Murder, She Wrote. And there you go. And another grandmother yes, that loved she the Golden wrote. Girls. So. Perfect, perfect. You were raised very well. Yeah. <laughs> um, another, oh, I'm trying to remember, uh, From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler was one of my favorite books okay. ever, where two kids run away to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, because it sort of placed, you know, me in this place that I knew about, you know, and I could imagine every time we went to the museum, like hiding in the bathroom stalls and getting change for the uh, vending machine out of the the pools <laughs> that people <laughs> threw them in. But uh, Phantom Tollbooth was also a great one. Uh, I've really, especially because it's so word heavy and so vocabulary driven, that was one of my faves. So, I mean, I really was definitely a again a big reader like we had a lot of books at home we got way more books in the library because we couldn't keep up so i feel really fortunate that like i was able to engage with that at such a young age when what are some of your your favorite indie bookshops that you do remember going to when you when you you know back in the day when you when you moved beyond walden books i mean great question i think that there are so many that I probably popped into, but cannot remember the name of. And and honestly, when I you know grew up coming to New York every now and again because I live right outside of it, and then went to New York for college, and then moved away for a little bit for about seven or so years, and then came back again. And you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, like every New York has changed. Yeah, obviously, it changes all the time. That's what big cities do. But it is it is interesting to see 
not only some of the older bookstores that I went to in college that were all like very basement, you know, smelled like old used books and like haphazardly organized. You, know, you had to you talk one, to the guy behind the counter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you don't want to touch anything without asking. Um, some of them are still around. A lot of them are not. You know, there's a, there's definitely a, a forgotten New York website that I go to often to say, oh, yeah, I do remember popping into that place. So unfortunately, I don't know too many names. But now... And, you know, as as you know, like the resurgence of sort of indie booksellers, like there are so many. I, I live in Brooklyn. Uh, my local spot is Terrace Books um, in like the corner, like air, the area of Windsor Terrace and South Prospect Park um, area. And they're like this cute little railroad shop. Uh, you know, they, they'll put up the little sign, be back in five minutes. You know, it's very <laughs> community driven. They were great during the pandemic, you know, like making sure that they everybody had masks and like making sure that the, the kids section was still uh, in the back, um, well stocked and inviting folks in. So really appreciate them. Uh, Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn is epic and incredible. Um the books are magic spot, which is in Cobble Hill, I believe. Is which I really need so to get on fun. this show because books are magic is like my entire concept. Yeah, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, they're they're amazing. Um, I really also enjoy the Center for Fiction. If you've never been there in in, in Brooklyn, I haven't right? been, they, but they, I know of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they move from the Upper West Side. I think that's the coolest thing, you know, like move from Uptown Manhattan. Say, forget it. We're we're coming here. We're gonna we're gonna put roots down in Brooklyn. Um, but again, coming from the uh, indie world, um, especially zine world, um, the Blue Stockings books is sort of an uh, alternative space indie bookseller that also recently changed locations on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. Um, Quimby's in Chicago was is a phenomenal spot. And there's just a lot of those, like, I really gravitate towards the folks who also have zines, you know, as part of their... Um, their uh, stock uh and also book thug nation is um a bookstore that's partially owned by aaron comipus who's basically my favorite writer ever uh also obviously stocks his zines and others <laughs> in brooklyn so there's a lot i mean there's a lot of amazing spots to discover and i think that that is what's really fun about indie bookstores to me is that you can be exploring a new town and stop by and pop in. And then you're like, oh my God, three hours just went by. What what happened to the time? <laughs> so <laughs> so it's not a surprise to me that you've been to New York, but you haven't been to like all of these spots that obviously like are still on your list because there's so many. Oh yeah. One of the one of my bucket list bookstore related things is to do a crawl, a bookstore crawl. Yes. In and oh. around. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, sign me up, you know. Um, you know, we're we're on the front end today when we're taping of your book tour that you talked about. Yeah. So tell us about where you plan to go and what are your what are your hopes in terms of the book the bookshop aspect of of the tour? Yeah. I mean, well, so so you know, tonight release day is uh release day on October 10th is gonna be Powerhouse Arena Books um in Brooklyn. Again, see, I, I haven't even shouted them out and they're they're where I'm actually <laughs> having my event. Uh, there's so many places. I'm also going to Los Angeles and go to Book Soup in West Hollywood, where I will actually be speaking with Jim Colucci, which is really okay. exciting. Talk and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. And then in Portland, Oregon, which you are also familiar with, I'll be going to Rose City Book Pub. Uh, so, uh, you know, my Portland buddies, you know, we need a place to eat and drink at the same time as uh, reading the book. So that's going to well, be a phenomenal spot. Listeners, that that's a throwback to, oh, gosh, was it episode two? It's like two, I think. Rose yeah, City it was like one of your Pub earliest. Well, yeah. Portland is a fantastic book city. You have Pals, you have Rose City of Book course. Pub. You have tons. 
Um, Broadway books, lots of spots. Two very different experiences, Pals and <laughs> Rose City Book Pub. But it's yes. just this remarkable little bookshop bar. Uh, I'm just, you probably can't see my, well, listeners can't see my expression, but I'm just like waxing sentimental about being in this shop. <laughs> He's <laughs> actually going to book tickets to Portland again after this uh, conversation. <laughs> I remember I was there with a friend of mine and we were exploring. And there was a lady sitting on one of the couches, just reading and casually. And I could tell that she seemed to work there. Um, and that's that's ended up being the owner who <laughs> love it was on the show. I love seemed things. to work here, there, yeah. <laughs> Which is, and that's also another amazing thing about indie bookstores, right? Like, you know, you can't the the manage. Of, I, listen, I I really I love Barnes and Noble. I love I love going any bookshop, right? But the manager of a Barnes and Noble corporate conglomerate, you know, store, it's going to be a very different experience from meeting the manager of this little sort of homegrown indie shop that you have, mm -hmm. right? They're going to have the stories that they tell on this podcast. They're going to have all that background as opposed to sort of like, well, I have some experience in retail, so I got promoted, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, again, no disrespect. I just think it there is a different um, feel and there's a different um, personal connection uh, to to the bookshop when you are an indie. Oh, and as an author, I've done indie events and I've done chain events. And again, no disrespect to the chains, but I, those experiences have not been as interactive and as fun as, as successful, I guess, as the indie right. events. So exactly. I'm very excited to, to maybe touch base with you again at the end of your tour and do a part two, and then we can talk about all of your experiences and what all you learned. Absolutely. Go back yeah. again to what was the name of the shop you said you're launching the book at? Powerhouse Arena. I mean, it's, what a name um, so for Powerhouse. A I know, right? <laughs> so, Powerhouse Books, they actually have three different locations in Brooklyn. So, they have a really small shop that's in Park Slope, like in my neighborhood. Um, they're a little bit further away from me. So, Terrace Books is closer. But um, then they also have one in Industry City, which is this brand new, like re rejuvenation of an industrial space that's incredible and it's it's one of those things where it was um i forget the 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 person who runs magpie books up in um catskill new york on her pod on your podcast mm -hmm. she said like i can't be in a place without a bookstore <laughs> and <laughs> Like Industry City is full of, you know, bars and restaurants and places you can buy really like rare Japanese food and like other amazing things. But after going there a little bit, you're like, this really needs a bookstore. And then boom, Powerhouse <laughs> opened it. So it's great. They must have clearly thought the same thing. Yes. What What are you, how are you envisioning your events to go in these indie bookshops? Is it going to be just a sit and sign or are you going to like, no. do a talk or no, I think a talk and I also want I, I I don't, you know, I'm I'm not here to say like oh check out me and you you're clearly here because of Sarah Royal. I mean, a lot of my <laughs> friends and family will be. I could write a book about whoever, but it's going to be very Lucy driven. I think there's so many Lucy fans out there that are really um knowledgeable. Like the the person I'm speaking with at the Powerhouse book is Shelly Zimmerman. She's a bona fide Lucille Ball historian. Like she will know more about Lucy than you or I ever will in our lives. So I want to have a conversation just about this person's life, you know, about about Lucy's life and what it can mean. So I think it's going to be 
you know, a talk back and forth to talk about a little bit about the book and what we're talking about here, but specifically about Lucy. And then read a few excerpts. Like, I don't want to drone on and have uh, <clears throat> seven minutes now. You know, everybody <laughs> take your bathroom break while I read from this book that you could very well buy and read on your own. So just like little teaser clips to to highlight some points that we want to make. And then we'll have um, some trivia, which will be really fun. Mm. And, uh, you know, a couple of beverages at the end of the night. But really, you know, and definitely sitting down and signing folks' books uh, if that if that's what they are excited to do. Um, but yeah, it's really just, it's a celebration of the book. It's a celebration of the book being made, and it's a celebration of Lucy's life. So that's what I'm hoping to get out of it. Oh, man. It sounds like such a ball. I hope it goes so well for you. <laughs> Nice pun. <laughs> I didn't even catch it, but there you go. I love it. Such now, a ball. One of, one of the questions I always ask guests is, and typically, like, as you know, it's usually a bookseller I'm talking to. And I ask them, what are yes. some of your favorite books to hand sell to customers? But when I have, you know, a non-bookseller on, I, I reposition it. What are some of the books you would love to stock in your own bookshop and recommend to readers? I love it. Um, I think that, <laughs> again, also not having a bookshop, I sort of like keep a running list or like recommendations. Um, I also, for my book collection at home, have, I keep the books that I really care about if I've read them. Typically, if I've read a book, I pass it along to somebody new if I have owned it at some point because I literally physically can't hold on to it. Just very different contrast to my husband who has like an incredible collection of like urban planning and architecture books that <laughs> should, you know, should be donated to a school at some point someday. But um, what came to mind with this question right now, and I mentioned Aaron Comipus before, he has a, a zine, but it's it's essentially a small book um, called A Bestiary of Booksellers. And he goes through A to Z of independent booksellers from the street that he's actually met and worked with in New York City, which is fabulous. So and anything by Aaron Kamapas, I always recommend. He's um, been making zines since he's been 14 years old. He's definitely into his well into his 50s at this point, and he's still producing independently um, his zines and books alike, which is really cool. And like I said, he's part owner of bookstores in New York. Hmm. Um, I also think that uh, there's there's other Portland authors that I've come to know that I always, again, want to sort of promote folks that people haven't heard of, maybe. Um, Martha Grover is one. I'll be speaking with her at Rose City Book Pub, actually. She has a book called The End of My Career. Um, also kind of a memoir. My, I definitely gravitate to memoirs, so this list will be <laughs> very memoir-heavy. I think it's the best way to learn about somebody, have them write in their own voice about their own experiences. Mm -hmm. um, Going Somewhere by Brian Benson is a story about a cross-country bicycle trip, which is something also near and dear to my heart. Uh, the um, recent book called A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abderbkeeb is really fabulous and a great way to weave in sort of memoir pieces in sort of vignette style. He calls them movements um, about Black performance in, in America, which is so fabulous. Um, I also recently read this book called Slice Harvester um, about a person who goes to every single pizza joint in Manhattan and rates <laughs> all of their slices. It sounds like it would be a, a guidebook, right? Like a Zagat, you know, type of guide, but it's uh -huh. actually a memoir. It's a memoir uh -huh. Um, of this person's life, Cookie Hagendorf. Um, I mean, how and... thick is that book, though? Oh, it's, <laughs> I imagine I, there's a lot of pizza places. In I will say, yeah, it's it's it used to it, it is a website, so okay. you could go on the website to actually look at every single one. But it's more calling out the bits of like, obviously, the best one 
in there is mentioned. Um, and uh, their rating is uh, Pizza Suprema in uh, Manhattan on 8th Avenue, by the way. Still haven't been, but now I have to go based on this book. <laughs> but also calling out, you know, just like funny experiences, like terrible experiences, that type of thing. And it's just it's just a really fun adventure of someone setting out to do like a somewhat meaningless task, but really accomplishing you know something personally with it right it's like you're on your own journey even though you you got yourself into this mess of like having <laughs> having such a you know a, a a big uh hill to climb so and then um I'm trying to think of other i mean another one that i always again a memoir that i always think about is encyclopedia of an ordinary life by amy kraus rosenthal I'm not sure if you've ever read that but mm. It's sort of just what it sounds like. It's like an encyclopedia format of this woman's life. <laughs> it's like a memoir. And it's just really creatively written. I really, I veer towards, again, like I said, personal stories and memoirs, but just with a twist in any way. Um, and I think maybe that comes from <laughs> some of my sort of murder mystery um, <laughs> excitement of wanting something to surprise me, you know, uh, towards the end of a book or in the middle of it or what have you. So well, that's just a few. I mean, there's, you know, there's new books every day. And like I said before, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm always overwhelmed by how little time I have to read. <laughs> even if I could, <laughs> even if my job could just be reading books all day, it's still impossible, right. To consume yeah. everything. So I owning think a bookstore, I have less time to read. That's a misconception. Oh, I wish I could own I a bookstore and sit around and read all day. So do I. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So do I. <laughs> So I always wrap up each episode with this question, and it's the concept that people say bookshops are magical places. So I, I ask every guest's opinion on that concept. What do you What do you think about when you hear that a bookshop's a magical place? I I think what's interesting is, I, I mean, I agree for one. I also what immediately comes to mind is saying that when you are in a bookstore, in an indie bookstore. And you're surrounded by not only like those personal recommendations, like I said, the little interesting touches that you wouldn't find necessarily at like a, you know, a, a big Barnes and Noble today. Um, but you're you're physically surrounded by books. And for me, you're physically surrounded by knowledge, human knowledge in some form. Right. And it it makes me laugh because I think of this meme that somebody found two books uh, and one book is called What They Teach You in Harvard Business School. And the other book is called What They Don't Teach You in Harvard Business School. And they put them <laughs> side by side. And the caption says, these books contain the sum total of all human knowledge, <laughs> which cracks me up every time I think of it. Right. It's so brilliant. And but that's what it that's what I think of. I think of it's just like you are surrounded by this human knowledge output. Mm -hmm. And and I think. What's also interesting is I am a textbook extrovert, right? But I love books. And I think there's a classic um, stereotype of a bookworm, so to speak, right? That, you you know, they they don't exactly necessarily love people. They love books and like they can find different worlds and travel there and, you know, like that. that's how they sort of experience the world or they feel safer around books than, than people. But for me, it's like the the books are represent people, right? They represent, it's almost like having a conversation at like the greatest party, like the potential <laughs> in a bookstore to meet different people and learn either the facts that they have consumed and arranged in a certain way or their opinions or just their stories 
is literally like being at an incredible party and working the room and saying, oh, my God, I, I can't believe I get to meet all these different people, all these different perspectives in one spot. So that that to me is is what's magical about bookstores. How beautifully said. <laughs> well, thank you. Now, before I we think go. it's all, it's oh, real quick. I just I just to, to tack onto that. I just think it is. It's funny because people, I think, are surprised when um, I say, like, I'm an extrovert and an avid reader. It like sometimes it doesn't um, compute yeah. <laughs> for them. And yeah. don't there get me wrong. There's yeah. that introvert I, I mean, book lover stereotype. Yeah. Yes. Right. Exactly. And don't get me wrong that there are times when I probably should have been home reading that I'm like, I'll go to the bar. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. But. But yes, I just, you know, I think that that's an interesting, um, it's just like, you know, like people are complex, man. We all contain multitudes. Well, in a Rose City book pub, you're going to combine the two. Absolutely. <laughs> now, to close this out, tell us, tell us where to find you on social media. Let's plug your book again, your book tour. Throw it all, all at right, us. Yeah. Throw it all at us. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, again, my book. So my book is uh, AKA Lucy, the dynamic and determined life of Lucille Ball. You can purchase it uh, starting October 10th, 2023 at literally anywhere that sells books. Of course, I would prefer that you use bookshop.org uh, to support your local bookstore or literally physically walk into the shop and support your local bookstore. Um, and uh, you can go to sarahroyal.com, S-A-R-A-H-R-O-Y-A-L.com to check out other writings, get in touch with me. I've got my Substack linked on that, occasionally throwing up some blog things. Instagram at Sarah E. Royal is probably the best way to follow the book tour. And um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's just like, I, I definitely want to hear what people think. And I think it's really exciting as an author to um, to just, you know, resonate, see what resonates with people and connect with them. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great to hear about your experiences with bookshops and the book. And hopefully if there's another Golden Con, maybe uh, we'll see each other in person soon. Absolutely. Or, hey, you got to arrange that book crawl. Oh, yeah. I think I'll go do that first. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> Thank you. Bookstore Explorer is produced and hosted by me, Matt Browning. Our theme music is Come Right Back to You by Max Hickson. You can follow all my bookstore explorations at bookstoreexplorer.com or on Instagram and Facebook at Bookstore Explorer. And follow us on Twitter at Bookstore EXPLR. Thanks for listening.